Greetings everybody, it's a great blessing for me to come to you today. Today we're going to talk about prayer, I spoke about prayer last week and we're going to continue to talk about prayer and we're going to look at it in the light of the greater scheme of things. We're going to look at it in the light of the kingdom of God. So many times we feel guilty when we pray because we don't know, are we going to see results? Are we going to see the outcome? So I might say, but that is doubt. You know, you shouldn't doubt that when you've asked that something is going to take place. For the Bible says that whatsoever you ask in the name of Jesus, that you will receive. Now, if I go in the name of Jesus and ask God to make a square circle, do you think that's going to happen? No, it's not going to happen. The whatsoever there is in a certain context. And that gives us, uh, once we understand that context, it gives a great boldness to pray and we know that our prayer shall be answered. So I want to look at prayer in, uh, in the greater scheme of things. Today's teaching might be a little bit theological, but I'm sure a lot of you are, you are used to my teachings that is like that. And I trust that this will uh, comfort you and bring understanding to you when it comes to prayer. Let us just pray together as we start the service. Father, I want to thank you so much for your love and your grace. I want to thank you for the kindness and the goodness that you've expressed to us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I want to thank you that you've been obedient even unto the obedience of death itself, from where you are now ruling and reigning over our lives with the power that raised you from the dead. Thank you for pouring out your Spirit on us, and that we, through the Holy Spirit, can experience your kingdom and your life today. Thank you that we can do the works that you have, that you have done, and greater works than these can be done through us, even in this very day. Thank you, Lord, that as I preach right now, this message that I preach and the foundation from where I'm preaching it is already, already greater than what you have done when you were on the earth, which was greater than what John the Baptist has done when he was on the earth, strictly on account of the foundation from where we can pray and speak and declare. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Today I'm going to touch again on the Lord's Prayer and I want to then link it to Mark 11 where Jesus said that if you have the faith of God you will say unto this mountain be removed and it shall be removed. I've preached on that passage several times in my life and I find that the word is dynamic and every time I read it and as I understand more of the gospel I come to better and clearer understandings of what that passage truly means. So uh, one thing we need to understand is that when we pray, we need to pray in the context of the greater scheme of things. Many times our prayer is just focused on this narrow 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years that we live on this earth and we think that everything we ask must take place for us now in what we think is going to be a good life for us today. What I mean by that is that the prayer requests that people would uh, send or have to God, the, if we just use uh, typical languages, the prayers that people would send to God would be different to people based on their culture. 
what people in the Africa bush ask God to do and what I'm going to ask God to do and what some billionaire somewhere in the world is going to ask God to do might be completely different things. And what happens is so many times in most people's lives is we've got a certain dream that is given to us by society and as society has shaped our minds, from there we ask God to help us to have what we would define true life is. Now, you might say, but Bertie, God has to meet me where I am, in the culture where I am. And I truly believe that that is what God does. He does meet us where we are. He does provide for us right there where we are in what is relevant for us. Yet I also believe that when we look at prayer in the New Testament, there is something very powerful about that which is greater than our culture and the provision that we think we're supposed to have in our culture. Like you don't find somebody in the mid-1400s uh, ask God for a cell phone or a car because it did not even exist. So in the very same way, we can come and we can say, well, you know, God has said whatsoever I ask, so it doesn't matter what it is. I can ask for a spaceship in the name of Jesus, and I am going to have it. Or I can, ha I can ask God in the name of Jesus to create new planets for me that I can say that planet belongs to me. Now, just by the example I use, you can already know that there is a limit to whatsoever you ask. And I think it's very important to look at Jesus and what he understood when he said whatsoever you ask. What would be in Jesus' mind when he said, whatsoever you ask in my name, you will receive. What was in Jesus' mind when he said that the same works that I do, you will do, and greater works than these will you do? What was in Jesus' mind when he said that John the Baptist is the greatest of all the people uh, in the kingdom and the least or the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he? Now, what does that mean? What was in his mind when he talked about all of these things? We need to understand that when Jesus Christ walked the earth, what was in his mind was that he was the servant of God that had to come to bring the kingdom of God into this world. That is what he has come to do. He wants to bring God's way of doing, which was the rulership of life, into this world so that we can be born of this rule and that we don't have to be born by our own works, by our own ability, by uh, our own wit, where we can have a life that is born from him. And that is, might sound very complicated, but it is very simple. What it simply means is this, we can have a life where we say, God Thank you for your kingdom and your rule. And we submit to that. We accept that rule. We accept that kingdom in us. And therefore, we don't have to know every day what's the right thing to do based on right and wrong, uh, based on what's going on in the world. But that we can simply be led by you and follow our heart. You know all things and you just bring forth your life in us. That's the best way to run a ministry. That's the best way to run a business. That's the best way to, uh, to, to have relationships with people. Uh, 
It's a place where the kingdom of God and the rule of God rules and reigns in you, wherein your uh, desires and wherein your thoughts and all of that is just born from God because of a relationship with Him. Where it's not about knowing 10 rules and 20 principles and all those kind of things, whereby you are the creator of your life. It's all about Him. So first point I want to make is that it's very important to look at things in the greater scheme of things and that everything is not always just about you and the 80 years or 100 years you're going to live on this earth. What I try to say is this, that when God made man in the beginning, God promised man eternal life. This man, Adam, did not believe in God. He didn't put his trust in God. And we find death come, came to humanity. Then it took God about, now I'm going to explain this, but it took God about 4,000 years to bring forth a man called Jesus. And the way where he brought this man forth was what we would look at, things that doesn't always really make sense. First, he made a promise to somebody called Abraham and then to his descendants. And then from his descendants, there was, uh, I mean, the descendants of Abraham is this nation called Israel. He called Israel his son. He gave them the law. They disobeyed and then a remnant uh, stayed over. And this became smaller and smaller until there was just one man that represented all of Israel. And the prophetic words to this man was then fulfilled and this man then obeyed even unto the obedience of death he was bodily raised from the dead and then he ascended on high and now he pours out his spirit on people and we are now we need to understand we are now in that area where the holy spirit is poured out on people and then there will come a time when this jesus returns and raises the dead Whenever we pray, whenever we approach the kingdom of God, we need to have a bit of a, a bigger scheme of things. We need to understand that there's a bigger plan than just the time when I'm on the earth. We need to see that we are part of something bigger. I would think that when we look, and when we look back at the time of the people that was on the earth with Moses, they thought the final revelation was God leading them through the desert and getting food from heaven to them for that day. And that was it. They didn't see anything bigger than that. That was basically what they saw. And then they thought, well, it's about a piece of land. We're going to go into Canaan land and then God's going to give us that land and we're going to have our own piece of land. Then revelation developed, if you want to talk, see it like that. People start to understand more about what God is saying. And then we came to a place where Jesus was born and he looked at the Old Testament text. And I believe he fully and accurately understood everything God was saying unto him. And then he got it right to conquer death as a human being. Now, people, that might be, you, we might say, but that is theology, that is this, we don't care about those things. I just want to be encouraged for the day. Well, it's good to be encouraged for the day, but I also think it is good to understand God's plan. 
that is the truth. That is reality. That is God's reality from where he lives, from wherein he interacts with us. He's got a plan. And when we pray, I think it is very important that we pray with an understanding of what the bigger scheme of things are. And I think what happens is that we will request things that fits the bigger scheme of things. And we will see how that can be and shall be fulfilled, which I think is very important. By that I'm not saying, and please note that I'm not saying that we cannot ask God for things every day. We can ask God for things every day. I do ask God for things on a regular basis, but I also like to live from a perspective where I know God has got my back. I live, my heart is open to him, I'm under the rule of his kingdom, and I just live my life. You know, now, I don't want to say live my life, wherein my life is born from his life. I just have that, and that is uh, how we function. Now, very important, there is a bigger scheme of things. We now on the earth, we are at a place where we have a life that is born from the power of the resurrection. Yet we are still seeing mortality in our lives. We're still seeing shortcomings. We still see the, the mortality of this earth. And we are not seeing the fullness of the manifestation of the kingdom of God. But we have a promise. So as what Adam and Eve have to understand where they were in the greater scheme of things and as what Israel have to understand, as if the prophets had to understand, I think we need to understand where we are in what God is doing. And the moment we understand that, I think we will have a lot of peace in our hearts. If we think that we are in the time where everything must be perfect every day, we will live in guilt every day. We will feel, God, why have I messed up? Where have I missed it? Why am I not manifesting the kingdom of God fully? Maybe it is not our job to manifest the fullness of the kingdom of God. I don't see a scripture in the Bible where the church has been commanded to bring forth the fullness of the kingdom of God in the earth. To me, it looks as if God has given the church his spirit and then Jesus has promised that he will bring forth what the Father commanded him to do to us and that there are things that must still happen to us by Jesus and not by our own works. Should we not understand that, we will be at a place where we read the Bible and all the time see our shortcoming. Whenever we go, go and we pray, we will not understand what's truly going on and we will try and perfect the world through the power of prayer. You cannot perfect the world through the power of prayer. Neither can you perfect the world through the power of signs, wonders and miracles. Neither can you perfect the world through prophecy. We need to understand that. We cannot perfect the world by the gifts of the Spirit. You cannot even pray the perfect prayer wherein you, should your prayer be answered, have all the problems of the world solved. We need to know that. I think there's a place where we need to enter more into a rest when it comes to prayer, when it comes to our uh, communion with God, where there's a rest, knowing that He is Lord and that we are His body and that He has been given unto us as the one that will perfect us. That means 
that there is certain things in our lives that is not perfect. And we need to understand that. I know that in our Pentecostal charismatic way of looking at things, we would so much want everything to be perfect. And we would say that Jesus died the perfect death or he died the utter death. He was raised from the dead. And because he's done that, I've got the authority to now buy that see that I have got the fullness of the Godhead bodily and that I don't even die. Now, many of us would not say that we can attain unto bodily immortality today, and we would say that's absurd. Eternal life, we'll redefine it as going to heaven and being with God there, but there's our theology doesn't really make sense all the time. It's like, yes, we are in a broken world, but yes, it is up to us, the church, to through prayer, through the gifts of the Spirit, through asking God, it's our job to bring forth some form of perfection now because we are the body of Christ. There are some people that teach that we are the Christ. Um, I've been in debates with people like that before, uh, where the burden is so much on us that we must perform things and do these things while we are wearing glasses, we are gray, we, um, you know, we, we, we becoming older. When we look in the mirror, we see our shortcomings and we see our skin getting old. We see everything. We just in our memory, we forget things. We cannot remember things. We see our mortality and yet we place a burden on ourselves to through the perfect prayer or through some form of a perfect faith manifest the fullness of the kingdom of God today. As the ending of my introduction here, I want to say this. The perfect prayer with a perfect amount of miracles wherein every prayer you pray is answered and where every miracle that you or every person that you lay hands on is healed should that happen even in the lives of 10,000 people all the time on the earth right now, it shall not bring perfection. The perfection is up to God. He has promised it and let us believe that. And as we believe that and we do find shortcomings in our lives, we will find that we see where we are in this whole kingdom thing wherein we are at the place where we are We've received the spirit that shall make us immortal or bodily perfect or take away all shortcomings one day. By that, I don't, I'm not saying that we cannot see the manifestation of the spirit in the, to the power of signs, wonders and miracles and to the power of having a new life born from the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can have a new life, and that is the life we shall have. But we are much, much better off than the Old Testament people. We are much, much better off than people that didn't know what we are knowing. We are in a much more powerful dimension right now. And if you want to use the word dispensation, right now, called the dispensation of the influence that God has on people through the power of the resurrection. I hope that immediately starts to take some of the burden off your back. You can't, through your prayer life and through signs, wonders and miracles and through revival meetings, even see your community change into the fullness of what will take place in the day of Jesus' return. It is impossible. You cannot even get your own life to that. 
What about the life of your wife and your children and your neighborhood? No, what we all do is we've got the good news that Jesus was raised from the dead and this good news uh, gives us a hope which is the resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit that will raise us is then on those that believe and from there they have the fruit of the Spirit and the life of God starting to manifest in them. The first of what will be completed in the end. Now, some might say that means that I need to settle for certain things that I'm not willing to settle for. I don't, I don't want to settle for death. I settle for eternal life. That's why I believe in the resurrected Jesus. But I have to settle for aging and all those kind of things unless Jesus comes back. And we just, if we can settle for that and say, well, this is what we settle for. Unless Jesus brings perfection to us, we shall not have it until he brings it. When you settle for that, it immediately takes a burden off your back. Some might say, but that makes the church weak. Well, we need to see where we are in this scheme of things. It doesn't matter how much we throw a tantrum and fall on the floor and kick and protest against where we are as the church now. That doesn't matter. It's not going to change things. It's going to happen the way God has brought it forth. And he has now said, ask him for his kingdom. People are at a place where he says, this is my kingdom. This is my rulership. It's not by your works. It's by my work. And we are just to invite that into our lives and say, I make use of it. I say, yes, Lord. And that is how God in Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray. I'm going to read what I read last week. It says, Matthew 6, 9. After this manner pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it, uh, as, uh, done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, they could have just said, God, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with that. Daily bread. Only bread. No, 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 no. I, I'm not happy with daily bread. I'm not happy with just bread. I'm happy with bigger things than this. And you could have just complaint right there and then it says forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors god i, I don't want to be forgiven as i forgive my debt i and you've got your own plan here we find that jesus said that he was gonna die and we find that jesus said that he will then be raised at the third day we find that the apostle peter in the bible came and he said far be that from you lord and then jesus said to him get behind me satan there is a place where we have to say, Jesus, this is what, what you're going to do. This is, you are saying you're going to do all these things. Like you've said unto us that he shall raise us up. He shall bring immortality to us. He shall bring forth fruit in us. What are we to do? We to say, Lord, let your way of doing things come to me. Do it that way. I'm fine with it, Lord. And he knows the best. There's a time when you just trust God, man. There's a time when you just ask Him for help and trust Him and believe in Him and know that He knows better. It is just the way it is. The Bible says that we know in part, we prophesy in part. There's a, an impart part to us. But then that which, when that which is perfect has come, 
which shall come, which is the resurrected Jesus, he shall return. Now the point that I'm trying to make is that when Jesus was asked by disciples, teach me how to pray, he basically came and said, this is what you can expect, this is how things are going to work, this is how your communication with the Father can be in the light of what I am doing. And he gave this prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, um, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and you guys must go back to last week's message where I explained all of that, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, basically saying the old way of kingdom is now passed away, it's not Jew Gentile anymore, we are all, I declare, we are all people uh, that need grace, and thank you that I need grace as much as what a Gentile needs grace, and, um, and then he says, because all power, all glory belongs unto you. Now, with that in mind, we go to Luke chapter 11, where the Lord's Prayer is repeated, and we find that Jesus then explains that the answering of the Lord's Prayer would be the giving of the Holy Spirit. Because it says in verse uh, 1, it says, you know, that they asked him to teach the Lord's Prayer, Jesus then taught the Lord's Prayer, and then in verse 13 it says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? By that Jesus is basically saying that I am, and he declared that the Lord's Prayer was simply a prayer wherein we request the Holy Spirit. That is what it was. Wherein the Spirit, which is the life of God, then brings forth life in us. That would mean that the most accurate prayer that I can pray as pertaining to, the, to my marriage, to my relationship with my children, friends, the ministry, whatever, would simply be, Lord, let your kingdom come. Meaning, Father, what I am welcoming into my life is a ministry, a marriage, a relationship with friends, a relationship with my children that is born from your spirit, not by my works, but by your kingdom. That is basically the deepest prayer. Then what will happen is the spirit of God, which is the life force that raised Jesus from the dead, will start to work in me as pertaining to my marriage, as pertaining to my relationship with my friends, my children, uh, my ministry, and whatever I do, and I will find the fruit of God in that area of my life. And then that fruit, the, great, the greatest form where it can manifest is then eternal life, as I've explained many times in the messages. Okay, so let me put everything together. Jesus came. First of all, we need to understand that this kingdom is bigger than what we might have thought. It's greater than the few years that I live on this earth. And that we are inside this kingdom at a certain place. It's good to identify that because it will bring rest to your heart. It will take this obligation off your back that you must start to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Or you must start to do the work that Jesus um, is said to do. I just quickly want to throw this in there. Yes, Jesus went and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And uh, the, the, he sat down there so that his enemies can be made his footstool by the work of the Father. But we also find that there's outstanding things that must still be done by Jesus, which he has not accomplished. 
That we find in John chapter 6 verse 38, which says that it is the job of Jesus to raise us up in the last day and raise us from the dead and, and, and make sure that we have eternal life. That means there are certain things that Jesus must still do. There are certain things that the Spirit of God must do. Now, if we don't see that and we say everything has been fully accomplished the day Jesus on the cross died and said, it is finished, then we will say, okay, he said it's finished. Now let us see what is outstanding. And then we will con start to condemn ourselves and preach doctrines wherein there are things that we must now do to get what God has done to work. And that's going to dump us again in legalism and law and works righteousness, wherein we're going to all the time investigate ourselves, say, what are we doing wrong? What's wrong? Instead of knowing that he is saying that, the prayer we should pray is, Our Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in us as it is in heaven. Now you might say, but that prayer was prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and um, not needed uh, any, anymore. Well, give us this day our daily bread. Is that something we must pray? It says here, uh, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Can we say that or can't we say that? Um, your will be done. Your kingdom come. You must say, but the kingdom has already come. Yes, the kingdom, the God has poured out his kingdom on the earth and his kingdom has come in Jesus Christ. But that kingdom that has come must now find its rule everywhere. And that is not our job to see that manifest. It is the job of Jesus. And as Jesus work, he might work through us but not by us. It is by Jesus through us. It's not by us. I hope you understand what I'm saying there. Now, I want to quickly go to Mark 11. And I want to just show you this principle. Jesus, you go and read from Mark 11 verse 1. Now, the evangelist Mark, the evangelist, when they write the Gospels, they, they cleverly, structured their story and they would take one miracle and talk about it then they would talk about another miracle and another miracle and another miracle and then tell something about what Jesus said and they did that strategically to give a bigger picture now we find Mark doing this and he starts in chapter 11 verse 1 and he's talking about Jesus that comes into Bethany and he talks about the triumphant entry where Jesus comes in on a donkey and people throw down their clothes and palm branches and all those things. And then they said these beautiful words. They said, Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Okay, so what are they saying? They believed that the kingdom of David would be established in the earth. And then it says... Blessed, listen carefully to the words, blessed be the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. So what he's saying is, is that the Lord Jesus is bringing the kingdom of David or what they would understand is the rule of God or the kingdom of God into this world. So Mark comes and he says, listen man, this is about a kingdom that is coming to this earth and being manifested and people are starting to see this and talk accordingly. Then he goes on and he talks about Jesus just after that, the next day, 
um, when they came from Bethany, so they went to Bethany, triumphant entry, then from Bethany, as they were, uh, were leaving from there, this is what, what they say, and Jesus saw a fig tree afar off having leaves, and he came, if happily he may find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. So why is Mark talking about that? Very simply because the Jews of that time believed that they, the fig tree, also represented them. And they also believed, when you look at Nathaniel, he was sitting under the fig tree. They also believed that when you sit under the fig tree, and there's a, perfect, a prophetic action in that wherein you talk to God and hear from God and it's almost as if wisdom would not flow from the tree but it was just a shadow of saying I'm at a place where I receive wisdom from God like in um, Abraham's time I just don't know what the English word for that tree is but in Afrikaans it's terpentineboom they, they believed in Abraham's time that there were certain trees that had certain powers wherein when they are there, they can hear from the gods. In the very same way, the Jews believed that there was just something special about the fig tree. They believed that they were also to, uh, uh, um, that, that the fig tree was also talking about them. And, you know, they would sit under the fig tree, read the Torah, think of the Torah, meditate, pray, pray, because they were seriously asking deep questions, wanting God to speak to them. And here he comes and he curses the fig tree. Now what would the people that Mark wrote to have understood when he said that the fig tree was cursed? They would have basically said that Jesus came to Israel and wanted fruit from Israel and Israel couldn't bring forth the fruit that he told them, which was to be a light unto the Gentiles. And then he said, Cursed be you, you are not going to be a nation that I work through as a nation anymore. I've, I'm bringing a different kingdom. That is what would have been heard, been heard by the readers of Mark 11. Then he goes on and he explains this thing further, saying there's a, the old kingdom has passed away. This whole thing about Jew and Gentile has passed away. This whole thing about the temple is being passed away. And he is in chapter 11 saying that the kingdom of David has now come and that what the Jews has done with what God has told them was a big mess up. They messed up and Jesus is now coming to do what needs to be done. We find that in verse 15 that he goes up to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. And he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves um, and would not suffer that any man would carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught saying unto them, it is written, my house, now this is very important words, it is written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. I mean, another nation was not even allowed to call that a house of prayer as a place where they're supposed to pray. So what he was basically saying is, is that you completely messed this thing up. You actually made this uh, a den of thieves and robbers. What he was saying to the people of that time, he says, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, you Levites, you people that had Israel, all of you, you are, you've robbed the nations of what I truly wanted. And what did he do? He came to cleanse the temple. How did he come to clean the temple? We read on. The lessons from the fig tree. 
And in the morning, well, the Bible says that he, oh, a, a very important thing here in verse 11, it says, and the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and they sought how that they might kill him. But they feared the people because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. So here Jesus comes into the temple and he's preaching a doctrine that the kingdom is basically for all people. It is not just a Jewish thing. There's a new kingdom. It's the kingdom of God which is for all people. I'm ending the temple thing. I'm ending the law thing. I'm ending all of that. I'm ending that. What is actually taking place is he's saying there's a new kingdom being, being inaugurated here. It is the donkey, the uh, Jesus coming in triumphant entry on the donkey. From there he goes, the, curses the fig tree saying it's not about Israel anymore. He goes further, not just types and shadows. He goes into a greater type and shadow. He goes into the temple, cleanses the temple and then preaches an astonishing doctrine. We just see Jesus saying these words, you've made a, 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 a den of thieves. No, nobody walked through the temple carrying anything. You were not supposed to carry any burden. That's what he was trying to say. And then he was teaching. I'm sure he taught there for an hour, two or three or four. Teaching a new doctrine. From there, they, as they left Jerusalem the next morning, they passed by the fig tree that was dried up by the roots. And Peter called to remember his master fig tree that you've cursed withered away. Now what is Mark saying? He's saying that Israel, Jerusalem, the temple, it, I declare that whole thing as cursed as pertaining to bringing life to people. The law cannot bring life to people. That temple cannot bring life to people. None of those things can bring life to people. And the end of that, I am declaring there is a new kingdom. So what would the true prayer be? What would accurate communication be in the light of what Jesus is doing? With saying, let your kingdom come. Let it be so, Lord, that the temple will be destroyed in 70 AD. Because as the fig tree was cursed, the next day it withered away. In the very same way, Jesus was going to cleanse the temple to say that this whole thing is a den of robbers and thieves. And he also prophesied about the ending of the temple in 70 AD when there was a massive war and Rome came in and destroyed the whole temple. And that victory withered away, although it was uh, about 30, 40 years later, it withered away. We find the same thing. What is this all about? It's about the inauguration of a new kingdom. Now, in verse 22, and this is what I, what I want to link up now with, and I'm going to use 10 minutes to explain this. This is what I link up now with the Lord's Prayer. Mark 11, 22, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Have faith in God. That means in the Greek also, have the very faith that comes from God. Now, faith that comes from somebody is simply meaning to believe what the person believes. When the Bible says, have faith, faith in God, that's a beautiful thing, but I also believe that what this is pointing to is to be persuaded with God's persuasion. What was God persuaded of? God was persuaded of that His kingdom is now coming in the world, that He is going to do it. Then he goes on, he says, For verily I say unto you that Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be you removed and cast into the sea, 
and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. And then a very important word, word in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever thing you desire when you pray, believe and you shall receive them, and, or, or believe that you are receiving them and you shall have them. Now what is he saying here? I believe we can go in, into Luke and we find that Luke says that whatsoever we as the believer say, and when we say to the mountain, be cast into the sea, it shall obey us. But I believe in Mark, he's putting a bit of a different emphasis on it. He's basically saying, believe, have God's faith. Believe what God is doing. God is now bringing in this new kingdom. And whosoever would say unto this mountain, now remember the mountain where they were, they were just outside of Jerusalem. The most important mountain that they could ever show to was not the Mount of Olives, but it was a temple mountain. And Jesus was just saying, contextually, that I'm bringing in a new kingdom, the triumphant entry. That's what Mark is saying. Then he said, I cursed the fig tree. Then he went and told the people that this whole temple thing was a robbery and the temple should be cleansed and that the temple is dirty. That, that is what he was saying. Then the next day, looking at the fig tree that was withered, saying this is the end of Jerusalem and the end of, uh, Israel, or the end of Israel, basically, as they knew it. He says, let me tell you something, that if you have the faith of God, you'll even say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. Sea was seen by the Jews as destruction. Be cast into the sea and it shall obey you. And then he says, therefore I say to you, whatsoever you will ask. So what he's basically saying is that he was told to do something. He was to say, for the temple to be cast into the sea. He was the one that was to, he was the one that was to remove this temple mount and that whole system through his death and through his resurrection so that whatsoever we would then ask will be done unto us. So I, I want to put it this way in the title of the message. God in Jesus removed the mountain so that we can pray. Our prayer would then be, Father, since Jesus Christ has come and removed the old kingdom way, the Jew-Gentile way, the works righteousness way, and he has inaugurated and brought forth your kingdom, which, whereby things are done by your spirit and not our works. Whatsoever we ask, believing that we are receiving it. That is the Greek. It says, then you shall have them. So what are we supposed to believe? We are supposed to believe that we are now at the place where we are from God in Jesus, receiving a new kingdom, where the rulership is not by us doing everything right according to the law, but where we are under the rulership of God, wherein things are done His way, which is He gives life, He brings forth, He bears fruit. I'm under that kingdom and I am now believing that I am receiving that kingdom and whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you are receiving the kingdom. Now that will immediately uh, taper down and narrow down what you're asking because immediately you're saying, Father, I'm not living anymore by the things of this world. I'm living by you. If I look at my prayer life, this is how my prayer life is. Practically, um, I, when I pray, I just say, Father, thank you that I'm under the rule of your kingdom and that I know I am receiving and I have received 
I grab a hold of with a purpose to make use of your kingdom, which means your spirit brings life to my relationship with people. And thank you from there, I am expecting a relationship with others born from life. Thank you, Father. If I look at uh, my ministry, I am not asking, I don't even ask, I'm honest with you, I, I don't ask for, maybe some might say bad, you, you should start to ask these things because then maybe things will go better. But I'm just saying, Father, all, I'm, all I want from you, and this is what I'm saying, I am now, since I am now not under the law anymore, but under a kingdom wherein it is about you raising up life in me. Thank you that I am receiving that. And from there I request that this resurrection life manifests in my ministry, manifests in my preaching, manifests in what I do, so that it can be by your doing. I know I am now receiving the kingdom of the spirit that gives life. Therefore, I ask this spirit to manifest its life in the ministry, in my marriage, in my relationship with people, in what I do. And I find that that is a very fruitful way of doing things. And this is what Jesus is basically saying here. He's saying, I've ended the old kingdom, I'm bringing in a new kingdom, I've cursed the fig tree, I've declared a new doctrine that is now a doctrine for all nations, not just Jews. He preached that doctrine right there in the temple. And the Jews, when they heard it, they wanted to kill him because that would mean he is basically declaring that the, the temple is for every nation, which they knew was not the case. If you would bring in uh, a, a, a Gentile into the temple, it means that you've dishonored the place and made it unholy. But here Jesus comes and he's saying, listen, man, this is what this whole thing is all about. I'm bringing a new kingdom. Therefore, I say unto you, whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive these things and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you had anything against someone else, that your Father which is in heaven may also forgive you. Now that sounds exactly like the passage in um, Luke 11 as well as in Matthew 6 that comes right after the Lord's Prayer. So what I see here, when Jesus was talking about whatsoever you say, you know, believe that you are receiving it and all those kind of things, it is another format of the Lord's Prayer. It is not something where we, like the Charismatics, should go and try and develop a doctrine from there of name it, claim it, mark it and park it and try to create a kingdom by thinking that we have the authority to create the kingdom of God now. No, this is basically a submission to the kingdom of God, wherein we are saying, Lord, your kingdom is now coming into this world. Therefore, we can now um, ask from the perspective of your kingdom manifesting your life in our lives, which I would conclude would be simply something like this. Father, I thank you that in my business, in my relationship with people, I am now welcoming the Spirit's life and I am rejecting works righteousness to see your life manifest there. That's all it is. So to me, the way I look at the scripture contextually, the Lord's Prayer is, a, is just, this is just another way, other words for the Lord's Prayer, which is here in Mark. He says, Verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, um, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe what God believes. 
but that he shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he say. So I believe that also refers to Jesus. Jesus said to that mountain, you shall be cast into the sea. And he didn't doubt that it shall happen. We find in 70 AD a destruction of the physical temple that took place, but it was already void of life from the moment Jesus spoke it. We just find the withering taking place a little later. Then he goes on and he says, Therefore I say now unto you, because I've ended this whole system, my new kingdom has come now. Whatsoever, whenever you pray and you believe that you are receiving, what? The new kingdom. That is, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. The context that which would have been in the mind of the Jew, the daily bread would be the manna from heaven, which is the life that comes from God, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on people's lives. We are welcoming that. And we are welcoming it not as Jews, but as people that know the only way where we, where we can have life is by God manifesting it and not us by our own works. Amen. And amen. Now, I don't have time. I've run out of time, but we can link this. There's another verse that I've had here in John 14, verse 13, which it basically says that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, that I will do. And he says, greater works than these shall you do. Now, uh, I think I need to talk about that because I'm just going to rush it off now. But the greater works, just in summary, to me would be um, when you would preach the gospel and somebody would receive the Holy Spirit as you preach the gospel or share the gospel or talk about the kingdom that is now on account of the resurrection that has already taken place that is already a greater work than what Jesus has done. Uh, we need to understand that from that perspective. Like John, John was a man that was the greatest of all the prophets of the Old Testament but he that is in the... And remember this, John didn't do one miracle. There was not one miracle recorded by John, but the greater work that he did was he pointed out who the Messiah was. He says, this is the Lamb of God. This is Isaiah 53 being uh, fulfilled here. And that is what made him greater because he prepared the way unto the Lord. Then the Lord conquered death, was raised from the dead and now poured out his spirit. And whatsoever we do by the outpouring of the spirit is a greater work than what Jesus has done. For it is further in what God's plan was for man. And that should not bring us, when we read about greater works, bring us again into the guilt and condemnation of God. Why am I now not... Uh, I, I don't know what a greater work would be than raising Lazarus from the dead after four days. I don't know what a greater work would be than the work of Jesus when he conquered death. I mean, I don't know what a greater work would be than to have a work that is on account of the work that he has done. That's the only thing that can be greater. That is it. And that is how I believe we would see this. This removes a lot of guilt from our prayer life and it brings rest to us where we just Accept the simple gospel. Now, let me end off with this. I've had, I've, I've had this thought many times in my life, and I was saying, God, so many things sound so complicated. But I want to say to you, it is not complicated. It is very simple. What brings complications is when Adam did not obey God, 
and he started to do things by his own works and his whole life is formed by his own understandings and all those kind of things and then God brings forth the simple work which he promised from the beginning presents the simple work to people that's made things very complicated and now they refuse to understand unless everything makes sense to them that's why the gospel sounds complicated it's not complicated it's very simple God promised eternal life and he brought eternal life and as we believe upon him he gives us his spirit that shall bring forth the eternal life and we will see it in the last day that's the whole gospel from beginning to end right preached right there what makes it complicated is to take that simple message and bring it to people whose lives is born from the law who's got a bible which has got text written in law language and to decode all of that to see the simplicity inside that that is where the complication comes in the beautiful thing is when we do find understanding and belief in this simple message we find a life born from it which is a life of freedom and victory glory to god father i want to thank you that your kingdom we can say we are receiving your kingdom right now. And whatsoever we request based on this, we shall have. And what we request is a life born from your kingdom and not our works. In every area of our life, even signs and wonders and miracles taking place in the name of Jesus who has conquered death and made life and immortality come to light. Thank you for that, Lord. I declare that every person that is watching me is at a place where they can boldly receive your kingdom and that they are receiving your kingdom and they have a life. And this is my prayer, being born from the power of the resurrection, wherein it is not something that is born from the works of the law, but by the grace of God. Amen and amen. Church, thanks so much that I could serve you with this good news today. Please listen to this mes message several times. I find that I listen in the week, I listen to my own message again, and I see things the Holy Spirit has spoken in there that just blesses me again. So please do that. Listen to that again. You must say, but that is full of, you're full of pride. I'm not full of pride. It is being humble, uh, saying that it was not my work, but it's the work of God. That is, that is what it means to be humble. Walk in humility and say, Lord, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for what you are giving, that it's not by my works, but by you. I will see you again in this week as I will put up some messages via um, Telegram. Is it Telegram? Is that what it's called? Telegram. I just, uh, Instagram, Telegram, WhatsApp, whatsoever. If you want to be on the Telegram message, just uh, write us to info at dynamicministries.com and we'll put you on the list and you will get your daily messages thank you so much and know that you are loved by god god bless